Well, our message uh, this morning, or this evening, I should say, uh, comes from the uh, book of uh, Luke, chapter 6. It deals with the law. And the problem with the law, we struggle with that. Now, we're not, there's, I don't think any Pharisees in here, and we're going to be talking about the Pharisees. Um, and the Pharisees tangle with Jesus and accuse him of breaking the law. Can you believe that? They're, they're, they're accusing the Lord of the Sabbath of uh, breaking the, of the Sabbath. So they had no idea, obviously, who they were talking to. Um, I love those uh, YouTube videos of when someone who's like in charge of a thing, like a famous uh, businessman or uh, maybe a musician, and they're trying to teach them their, their own music or their own concepts, and then it's exposed that they don't really know what they're talking about. In the history of the world, no one has made a bigger blum, blunder than the Pharisees uh, accusing Jesus. But in a sense, there's a little bit of Pharisee, I think, in all of us, because um, from the time we're children, uh, we are kind of on a, a motivational method, right? Uh, when I was a child, uh, back in the Stone Ages, you know, you got trophies for various things, and, and you were graded, you got graded. We're all trying to get A's, uh, and in, in sports and athletics, you were in Little League or basketball, and um, you were motivated to try and achieve, to do well, and judged. We were judged all the time. Now we say, don't judge me. Well, in those times, we were judged. By the time my children were in, uh, say, soccer, they, uh, they didn't keep score anymore. They had given up. Of course, they, they maintain that to this day. Guess what? We all know this. The kids are keeping score. They know the score. And so they know whether they came in first, second, or third. And I ran track, and we, you know, we, we looked at uh, trying to get medals for that and so forth. But that kind of thinking carries over into our walk with Jesus Christ, unfortunately. We look to see how well we're doing, and we might judge it on uh, if we've been consistent in church if for some reason due to sickness, such some people have been out with COVID um, and other reasons. Uh, we, feel, we don't feel as worthy when you come in. If you've missed you know, a, a month or so, um, and then, of course, we want to give tithes and offerings to the Lord. And if your finances have kept you from that, you might not feel as loved by God. Maybe you've taught a Sunday school class. Or maybe you've not been able to, and you don't feel as worthy or as good as perhaps some of those others who have been able to do those things. We have missionaries out right now. Mr. Benny, who's my uh, best bud, uh, he is in um, Uganda right now. And to be praying for Uganda because there's been some terrible violence there today. I think Pastor Rod spoke of that this morning. So all of those things that we can do and that sometimes we can't do, sometimes we end up being a little pharisaical, don't, don't we? On the other hand, too, if we do all those things, we may feel more worthy. Well, that's even worse. And that's what the Pharisees did. They were the best at following the law of anybody that has ever lived. So in Luke chapter 6, we're going to uh, start that up and, and talk a little bit about what that meant then. But still, there's some Pharisee in us now. And it can hurt us both ways. It hurts us if we think we're all that in a bag of chips, as they say or if we feel we've maybe failed and we're just not worthy to come to God. The truth is, on our best day, we're not worthy. And our worst day, we're worthy. We're always worthy. And it's never by our own works. God help us to think otherwise. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless this message as it goes out today, and that, um, uh, that you would speak the truth into us, uh, that if there be anything in us that makes us feel unworthy, and Lord, that by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit tonight, you would wipe it away. And if uh, there be a bit of Pharisee, as there is in all of us, I think, that thinks in some areas that we are doing pretty doggone good, we pray, O oh Lord, that we would be more reliant on the mercy and grace of God and what was done on the cross for us when it was proclaimed it is finished. So bless this uh, ministry. Bless your word as it go out. May it find good root in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> so we're going to be in chapter 6 of the book of Luke. 
And I'll read that, and we're going to cover uh, the first uh, uh, five, chap- uh, five verses in, in chapter 6. And now it happened on the second th- Sabbath, after the first, that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. All right, so let's take a look at this and see, of course, how it applies to us. We like to say, let's put some skin on this. You've probably heard that before. Our key verse comes from the fifth verse of chapter 6, where it says, Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. And that means in the Greek that he was the master of it. He's the one in authority. And also that he is the owner, the owner of the Sabbath. So they had no idea, of course, who they were talking to when they accused him of not keeping what belonged to him, what he owned. I want to tell you some interesting stories. You may know that Benny was also just recently in Israel. So he traveled from Israel to Uganda. And while he was on the street speaking of the law and the Pharisees, he ran into a, uh, uh, an Orthodox Jew, all dressed in the garb with the phylacteries and all of those legal requirements that an Orthodox Jew might wear on the streets. Now, Benny didn't say anything to this gentleman. Somehow, I think by the power of the Holy Spirit, this man was convicted just by Benny walking down the street. And he's running after Benny. This is crazy. He's running after Benny, and he's saying, what are you gospelizers doing here? What are you gospelizers? Now, I don't even think that's a word, but that's the word that Benny uses. He was accused, or the man was using, he was accusing Benny of being a gospelizer. And Benny's trying to calm the situation because he's there to do some work for his channel, and he doesn't want to cause a riot, and he doesn't want to get rested. But this guy's just coming after him. And he said, we did not kill the, uh, Jesus. Well, Benny didn't say that he had killed Jesus. So Benny at this point engages, and he says, look, I didn't say that. He said, if anything, it was the Romans, but technically it was God the Father who killed. He killed Jesus because through that we are forgiven of our sins. And the guy continues ranting and raving at him, and uh, it went on for a little while longer, and finally the guy disengaged and took off. But we think that many, maybe the Holy Spirit was convicting this guy. And I hope and pray that uh, this man will come uh, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But just his presence was coming after him. And the thing is that uh, this man uh, didn't recognize, as none of the, most of the Orthodox Jews don't in Israel, that he missed his Messiah. You know, forget Benny's presence. He needs the presence of the Messiah in his own life. I had a friend some years ago who served as a nanny in an Orthodox Jewish home. She's a Gentile and a Christian. And she was hired to work as a nanny, but really also mainly as a laborer in this household. It was an Orthodox household. And um, <clears throat> they couldn't even talk about work. It's not in the law. I mean, we took, they took the Ten Commandments and made them into 613 ordinances and attempted to follow them, which, by the way, they never did, never could. They made, you know, they made the Ten Commandments much more. The, it wasn't intended that they would be justified before God by the given ten. So let's take the 10 we're already not following and let's make 602 more, right? Craziness. But in the evening when it began to get get dark, it was against the uh, Jewish law for them to to turn on the lights themselves. But it was also considered work to inflict work on another. That's also work, also not in the Ten Commandments. So they would say to my friend Darcy, they would say, my, it's getting dark in here. 
I wish the lights would be on. That's the closest they come. They couldn't say, Darcy, would you please turn on the lights, thus avoiding work. No, they had to infer or imply so that she would infer to turn on the lights. That's how ridiculous it is. But is it much more ridiculous that they miss the Messiah? They miss Jesus Christ, the one that fulfilled the law. How much easier it would be to just accept the one who is the fulfillment of the law and forget all the silliness that goes around chasing people down the street, calling them gospelizers, or implying that it's dark and we need the lights on, for goodness sakes. As I said, Benny uh, was recently in Israel, and there's uh, two Big Mac, or two, I should, should say, uh, McDonald's within about a block of one another. One's for Gentiles, one is for the Jews, and they keep the kosher laws in, in the one. But you know what you can't get in Israel? Can't get a cheeseburger. Can't get in. Some of you know why. Because in the law, there is a scripture that says, you do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Well, how do we get cheese? From milk. And the, the meat product is in there in the hamburger, hopefully in the hamburger as well. So you can't combine the two together. You can buy cheese separately and carry it into McDonald's and on the slice sneak it in there. But you can't order a cheeseburger. Once again, craziness. Craziness. Miss the Messiah, but we're not eating cheeseburgers. Don't make no sense, does it? But in a sense, uh, as we look at this tonight, we're going to see uh, what uh, Jesus said about the law, what the Scripture says, and also um, uh, how, in some ways, as I initiated earlier, that we can become like the Jews ourselves. So uh, next passage we want to look at, and it, it holds the definition, I think, uh, best or at least in one of the places, in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through uh, uh, 29. And forgive me, some of these that I may read will uh, be a slightly different version. Uh, we're using generally New King James, but in some cases I've, I have pulled from other areas. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29, as it talks about law versus heart, because therein is where uh, I think the argument lies. <clears throat> Verse 17, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. You see, that's what the law leads to. And know his will and approve all things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make a boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you is it, is, it is written. So it's talking about those who follow the law outwardly, but not inwardly. Hypocrisy, right? Now it's true, we know this, Christians are accused of that as well. Be it not uh, be said of us that we have a form of, of a religion, but we don't have it of the heart. This is what God went after when he accused the Pharisees. And that same accusation falls against us if we do things out of obligation, even coming to church here tonight. Why are we here? Are we out of here, be, here because we love God? There's nothing wrong with coming to church. It's, it's a great thing to do, or sharing with your neighbors, or tithing, or serving in church. These are all great things. But the motivation of it, the heart, the heart of it, is what matters, does it not? Acts 13.39 says, And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law. Could not be justified. 
John 6, 28 through 29 says this. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered him, and he tells him what it is. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. I love this picture that we're going to put up next. Because it kind of, I think, shows us pictorially, uh, in a way, uh, where we are when it comes to the law. You see, we're perpetually, what do you suppose this little guy is, uh, say, six, seven years old? Well, when it comes to the law, we're never going to be beyond that. We're never going to get taller. So picture yourself in this, this situation. And I think a lot of us, when, you're, when we're younger, now I don't know how it is on those rides, but when I was little, uh, we went off to the various you know, carnivals alone. My parents actually were watching us very carefully. So with a bunch of guys with no teeth would shut up in a parking lot and put up carnival rides that probably had no safety uh, rules on them at all. <clears throat> we'd just go ride them, right? I'd collect all my nickels. But this bugged me. This bugged all of us. Because invariably, there'd be something like this of which we weren't tall enough to go on. Well, that's the way it is between us and the law. You are never going to be tall enough. And yet we strive. We try and do better. We try and work harder. We try and involve ourselves in more activities. And usually it's that. And it's no different than the Pharisees when we do this. You're never going to be tall enough. That's where we end up. Paul was a Pharisee. This is said of all, and I'm going to skip a, a, a verse down right now to Philippians 3, 5, and then I'll go back to the other one uh, in Galatians. So in Philippians 3, 5, we, we hear this of all. I'm sure you guys all know this. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. Good job. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. That's Paul. So Paul has more to say in Scripture about, and he has a right to as a Pharisee. He followed everything. He was a steely-eyed, stone-cold Pharisee preacher man. Nobody was like Paul. And he says so much about the legalism of the Jews and has a right to, does he not? In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, it says this, uh, and this is when he ran into his other apostles. Uh, When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him, that's Peter, to his face, because he was to be for certain men, he was to be before certain men from James. And he would eat with the Gentiles. Oh, but when he came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews played hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified, not justified, not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, For by the works of the law, let's hear it, no flesh shall be justified. Paul, a Pharisee, he came after them from that. So they couldn't do it. They can't be justified. And guess what? Neither can we. There's no way. There's no way. Tricky. It's a matter of the heart, right? Paul, again, Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scripture has confined all, uh, confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
But before faith came, we were kept by guard under the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Well, of course, then we have Abraham, uh, the first Jew, the father of the Jewish faith, the father of faith indeed, right? In Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we see Abraham. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are counted uh, as grace, but not as grace, but as debt. Del David celebrates the same truth. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom God shall not impute sin. Well, I hope we're different than the Pharisees. But that's really hard for us to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp. We are all trying to achieve. We're working. You get bonuses for working harder at work. You get, bonus, you get better grades in school. Want to do extra credit? Can you work harder? Can you run faster? Can you earn more? Uh, do you work for a corporation where they give out special benefits for your achievements? All of our world is achievement-based, is achievement, uh, except when we come to Jesus. And somehow, like a Pharisee, sometimes, I know I do, I carry that achievement over. And it does nothing but hinder us. Left and right, it hinders us. Not on a good day, we're not better. Not on a bad day, you're not worse. We've all failed. Everybody in this room has failed, including me. We've all failed. Don't feel as good toward God. Don't feel like going to church today. Think I'll stay home. I'll just stay in bed. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat worms. Everybody has felt that way. We've all blown it. Then we have those good days. Oh, I, I shared the gospel today with a, with a lady at the restaurant, and she accepted Jesus. I must be really special in heaven. No, you're not. No, you're not. You know better than the day you wanted to stay in bed and just eat worms. So we want to be uh, not a Pharisee, right? Well, there's an event that Michelle and I are invented to, uh, invited to soon, and I thought it was a good example. Um, there's a famous chef that's doing this barbecue. And you have to be special to be invited to this barbecue. We're not special. But we're invited. Why are we invited? Well, because uh, Michelle's sister is dating the chef. So we get kind of special. Now, it costs them $600 to go to this barbecue. So along with the special invitation, which regular people don't get, it costs $600. And people are flying in from all over the United States to go to this barbecue. We don't have to fly in. And we don't have to pay the $600 because, by golly, we wouldn't be going. And frankly, we're not special. If we did not know the lady that's dating the chef, but guess what? We know the chef. We know the chef, so we're getting in without paying the $600. We don't have to wait in line. We go to the top of this fancy restaurant. or some, They're doing like a, what they call pop-ups. And uh, it's, he is uh, ranked as one of, if not the top uh, barbecue chef in the United States, perhaps some of the top in the world. But because we know the chef, we're invited without cost. We just have to show up. We have no other reason to be invited. That's the way it is between us and Jesus Christ. You've been invited. You're not special. He is in, he's paid your bill. You don't have to pay anything at all. 
You don't have to be good. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to win 10 people to Christ before you can go. You just have to come because you know the chef. That's the way it works. Well, uh, in James, uh, we see that our temptation, frankly, is exactly the same as the Jews, exactly the same as that Jew that chased Benny down the street. Our temptation the same. It says in uh, chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing himself in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who work, looks into the perfect law of liberty, underline that, perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So what's the perfect law of liberty? You get to work, you get to do for God, not just listen to it, not just believe it. Do you know that many Christians believe that hearing the word and agreeing with it is the same as doing it? It's not. We're supposed to be doers of the word. And we're supposed to recognize that, that win or, or fail, that God blesses us for doing that work. The law of liberty. You operate in liberty. You know that famous ser uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of, a, of an Angry God. The day that was preached, and it was in the days where itinerant preachers traveled throughout the country, often by donkey or horse. And the gentleman that preached that day preached first uh, in, in the day at a church where the message... And by the way, I would need to say he was not a dynamic speaker. He tended to speak in monotones, so the records say. But he preached this famous sermon, and guess what? Nothing happened in the church. People just sat there in their pews. Nobody responded. Nobody accepted Christ. Then he goes to the second church, preaches the exact same sermon in a monotone, and people fell on their knees and repented and came to Christ. The work is not yours, dear brother and sister. The message that you send with your life and with your words, just do it. Don't worry about the results. People say, well, I share the gospel and nobody accepts Christ. It's not your work any more than it was for the man who preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Luke 18 verses 9 through 14 says something I think is very important. <clears throat> and I think about some of the things as we read the scripture that I've heard over the years uh, from others. Um, I remember when I was at another church, Calvary Chapel, Tustin, <clears throat> and we had applications to be in children's ministry. And one day we had a gentleman that we asked to uh, fill out a form, and he just wrote across the top, I've been to the school, I graduated the school of ministry. Now, nothing wrong with the school of ministry. That's a fine school. And uh, Pastor Dave, who was an awesome pastor for us, went to the school of ministry, as many other great men have. Unless, unless that's your pedigree. God forgive us. God help us. And so to this gentleman, all he needed to say was, I've been to the school of ministry. No, no, no. Uh, that's not your pedigree. Your relationship with Jesus is. And that's why we want you to fill out the form. He eventually did, but he was very angry with me for asking. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, it says this. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. This is a great story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. <coughs> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even so much as raise, raise his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be justified. (coughs) So, what are some things that remind us that we might be in danger of being a Pharisee, a modern-day Pharisee, even though we're not Jews, even though none of us would claim that title, and yet there are some danger signs. So I'm going to give a couple as uh, we have a few minutes left here. Number one, sometimes we forget who is the righteous one. Who is the righteous one? Because we might be feeling good, and we might be one of those days when we feel all that, as they say, and a bag of chips. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, is a reminder. There is none righteous. In the original Greek and Hebrew, that means nobody. Nobody here, right? Not one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's everybody. That's you. That's me. That's everybody. Good to remember. Number two, we've forgotten God knows our hearts. I remember years ago, I ran into a group of people who were called the holiness people. Anybody remember those groups? Some of us have been around a long time. And uh, we remember some of these odd groups. They might still be around. They believed that in growing in Jesus Christ, they would become sinless. It's hard to, to look somebody in the face and uh, makes me want to slap them or do something to see how they respond. But they believed that they could grow in Christ to the point to where they didn't sin anymore. And I'm talking to this young man some years ago, so at the time I was still young, and I was just agog. So you mean to tell me that you don't sin at all? No, I don't sin at all anymore. Well, if I had been smarter back then, I would have said, well, you just did because you called God a liar. I think that's a sin. But there were those, and probably still are, that believe that. And, of course, Jesus had to say this about that. He says in John 2.24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knows you. He knows me. He knows our hearts, right? And that he had no need to t- for anyone to testify a man, for he knew what was in man. He knows we're all sinners. We need to know it too. Otherwise, we're going to lose track of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't come to God ever, not after 50 years of following him, on the basis of our our being good. Number three, we lose track of the meaning of the cross. In Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, not of yourselves, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know we would. If we made our way to the cross on our own works and efforts, our own goodness, our own achievements, and there are some people who seem to do that. Uh, We call them idiots, knuckleheads. They think they've done that, right? It's not of ourselves. Otherwise, they're going to boast, and they do. They used to have Channel 40 TV. All those people were boasting. Is that still on the air, Channel 40? Trinity Broadcasting, I think they're closed now. But there's still those out there that are boasting that they're all that. I've done this for God. I've done that for God. I've been in the way. It sounds like they are in the way, right? Number four, we no longer have a view of our sinful nature. We think that because we've improved, we're in a process of sanctification, that that's the same as not being a sinner at all anymore. That's not true. No. Psalms 51.5 says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. We were conceived and born in sin. And while we go through a process of sanctification... We're not the men and we're not the women we were. We will never have the attributes to come unto God and to come to heaven on our own efforts. That will never happen. 
Number five, our focus becomes outward uh, more than inward. And like the Pharisees, they were, as Jesus described, whitewashed sepulchers. They looked good on the outside, but of course their insides were corrupted. 1 Samuel 16, 7 uh, details for us what God's view of the outside is. It said, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. I want to say it again. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Well, if that's the case, no matter how much I scrub myself up, no matter how good I look, no matter what car I drive, no matter, no matter what achievements I think I have, God's going to look in my heart. Uh-oh. Well, that's a problem. Number six, our focus becomes on impressing men over God. Well, yeah, because by all those things, I can impress the guys. You know, if I get that new Raptor truck, you know, that, that, that really cool, that's the neatest truck. Um, if I get that, all the guys in the church are going to be impressed. I can impress them. But I can't impress God. He's not going to be impressed with the truck I drive or the clothes I wear or whatever jewelry or whatever home I may have or whatever I think I've done for God. No, it becomes impressing because men are foolish. We can easily be deceived, can't we? A lot of us would never be married if, we, if the wives really knew what knuckleheads we are. But praise be to God, through his mercy and grace, we're accepted by some lovely ladies to be married, right? And God sanctifies. Often uses, by the way, that wife, that bride to do it. It's easier, to, a lot easier, just to reflect on that. A lot easier to be a sinful uh, single man than it is to be a righteous married man. Because your wife knows all of your little your little curmudgeons, your knuckleheadedness, your failures. And she's willing to tell you about it, too. God uh, uses our, our lovely ladies to sanctify us. So in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who puts trust in the Lord shall be safe. Shall be safe. That's a nice promise. I'll claim that one. Galatians 1, 10 says, for, I do, uh, for do I now persuade men or do I persuade God? Uh, or do I seek to please men? For if I please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Well, that's quite an indictment right there. If I try and please men, I am not a servant of Christ. You know why? Because you can't serve two masters. You might succeed in pleasing men. Well, what good is that going to do you when you close your eyes for the last time? Number seven, we've forgotten who called us. How did we get even to, to a church? Do you think you made a decision that you got smart one day, that you decided to repent God forgive us. God help us if we think that. John uh, fifteen sixteen says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in, in my name, the Father will give you. So your decision even to come in Christ wasn't because you got smart one day. You didn't even get smart enough to do that. We can't give ourselves any credit at all in coming to Christ. I, I would count that as good news. Because if you make a decision, you can, well, you can undo it, can't you? If you make any willing decision or any choices on your part, you can also fail in those. God is invested in both saving you and sanctifying you. Number eight, we've forgotten the cost of discipleship. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, that's what we need to remember, right? Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart... As to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, not as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord, not to men, not to men. That's tricky. 
We like men to watch us. We like men to see us serve. We like people to see us do well. They'll think well of us. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So if you do all this well as a servant, as a bondservant, as a slave to Jesus Christ, guess what that's going to bring you? Uh, Riches and fame? No. The applause of men? No. Especially in this day and age, the cost is likely to increase soon. You're going to end up being hated by some people. Now, I don't mean because you're a knucklehead. I don't mean because you're just being yourself and that's obnoxious. That's not what I'm talking about. If you stand for Jesus Christ, claim that promise. Of those who want to claim riches and fame in Jesus Christ, which is not in Scripture, claim this one. If they hated Jesus and you proclaim the gospel by your life and your words, some people are going to hate you. Well, there's only a few of you here uh, old enough to remember uh, Leave it to Cleaver. I'm like looking out in the group here. I'm thinking maybe two, two. I think I'm counting myself in that. There used to be a show called Leave it to, was it Leave it to Cleaver? Leave it to Beaver. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> Dean's old enough, so am I. I think that's it. Um, there was Eddie Haskell. And Eddie Haskell was, uh, Duke's getting born, so I guess I better wrap it up. Huh? Um, so Eddie Haskell was a friend of, of the uh, young man in the, in the uh, Wally, thank you, Wally. But Eddie Haskell was a hypocrite. And um, he always came, when he came into the house, he put on this nice face and this nice voice. And he would say, why, good afternoon, Miss Cleaver. You're looking especially lovely today. He said that every time he came into the house. Good afternoon. You're looking especially lovely today, Mrs. Cleaver. Kind of with that voice. It would hurt your ears to hear it. Now, she was a smart lady, and she knew he was a chump. But sometimes in our Christian walk, we can become a little bit like the Eddie Haskell syndrome, right? God knows our hearts, and us acknowledging that keeps us humble. keeps us humble. It's important. Because in that humility, God is then free to bless us. God is free to use us. We're not going to claim righteousness of our own. We'll just go out and be real and share the love of Jesus Christ. There is a poison above all else in Scripture that we must avoid. This is something to avoid, and it's spoken of in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it's called uh, the uh, Pharisees, really the, the leaven of the Pharisees. In the meantime, it says, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. And he began to say this to his disciples first, he being Jesus. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were there. They were right there. He's saying this. Beware these guys. These guys sitting over here with their phylacteries and their long robes and their fancy stuff, you know. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. First Peter tells us, chapters uh, 3, verses 3 through 5, let, do not let your adorning be external, braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry or clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be hidden in the person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's, in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting themselves to their own husbands. Now this is directed toward the ladies, but the same thing exactly applies to us guys, if not more. 
And finally, in, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier manners of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Well, we'd say that's a, that's a bad Pharisee for sure. And yet some of those attributes, some of those things we are guilty of, some of them, we want to look good on the outside, right? God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. God help us. We are not born again unless we have come to Christ in humility, drawn to him by his Holy Spirit, being in a moment, yes, when we repent of our sins and receive Christ as our Lord, we are immediately born again. That's true. But then the sanctification process begins to make us into his image, salt and light to a dying world, but to a real bondservant of Christ, we will, at the very first moment of our redemption, be utterly without our own goodness, without our own worthiness, and without our own self-righteousness, then and forever. That doesn't change. You're born again in a moment. But never are those holy righteousness elements of that process belonging to you because of what you have done. Never. And in that thinking, we stay humble. In that thinking, we stay valuable and powerful. Because then you're a clean cup. The Holy Spirit will fill you. The Holy Spirit will give you a message to that brother or sister, to that relative, to that parent, to that workmate. And you will be empowered to be a vessel of God of salt and light, claiming no righteousness of your own ever, exalting yourself never, being used and empowered by the dunamis, dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Create in us clean hearts tonight. Renew right spirits within us, we pray. Do not take your Holy Spirit from us, but Lord, would you fill us tonight? Would you use this group of people, this small group, this little church tonight, to glorify your name and to be used of you in such a way to be salt and light? We know the world is soon passing away. We see all the signs. It would appear to us that the rapture is near. All the signs are there. And so there's so many around us that we know and love and meet every day, and we want them to see you. So make us clean vessels, Lord. Empower us and be glorified through us to this soon-dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray, Lord, that the Lord will bless you, keep you, that his face will shine upon you next week, that he'll give you divine appointments and just show you how much he wants to use you to a world that is soon passing away. Be salt and light by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.